0: And here he is, alive and in colour and about to look into the future. Hello Geert, the stage is yours. Thanks very much. Great pleasure to be with you today. First of all, I want to say congratulations for this great event. Uh, You've pulled this off in a very short time. And God knows it's not easy to pull off a digital event like this with all the context. So that's really great. Well done. I I think this is the future. Uh, clearly of events, conferences. Yeah, I used to do a hundred a year and now I'm at home looking at the camera. So the future is different than we could ever have imagined. I think you could in fact say uh, that the future is less certain than at any time before, at least in the sort of last 30, 40 years. Um, and that creates a new sort of pressure on this. I think that when we're looking at the future, I think it's quite clear that we have to say that you know it's important that the future can only be created; it cannot actually be predicted. You know, so what I do with, with you today is not predicting the future. Some people have done that in the past, like um, Azimov and others. But I talk about how we can create this future together. Uh, also, very important, I think, when we talk about the future of what we want to be and what we can be, it's important to realize that the future is in our heads. You know, it's not tomorrow. <laughs> you know, the, the future is not a time frame; it's it's a mindset. Uh, it's a way of th- that we think about what we want and what we want to create. Right? And the other thing I think it's really important when we talk about the future. And I'll, I'll put a different background here for that reason. Um, you know, when we think about the future and what we want to be, uh, when we talk about technology, I wrote a book about four years ago called "Technology Versus Humanity," and really what the title should have been is "Technology uh, uh, with Humanity" or "Humanity on Top of Technology." But it's important to realize you know, the last four years have been a tr- tremendous boom in technology. And especially the last couple of weeks, months, of course, you know, technology comes out as the winner uh, from the COVID-19 crisis. And um, to that, I want to say that technology can do great things, but it does not want to do great things. It doesn't want to do anything. I'm paraphrasing Tim Cook, CEO of Apple, about half a year, a year ago at the European Commission, when he talked about what technology is. Let's keep this in mind, right? Technology can do great things, but somebody has to decide what those great things are. Right? It's not gonna be as easy as saying, well, technology will fix all our problems. I think that's kind of a far-fetched thing. Let me start here with Milton Freeman. He said, only a crisis, real or perceived, and ours is real, right? produces real change. And with that change, of course, it's important what kind of ideas are lying around. And God knows we're in a crisis, right? We're in a global crisis. This crisis is also a gigantic opportunity as most crises, of course, are opportunities. But in terms of what we're going to be doing in our future, I mean, think about tourism, think about traveling, think about all of the things that that, uh, we have looked at in the past. I mean, it's quite clear that we need to have the right kind of ideas lying around. I'll talk about that and why I think technology and humanity is such a key topic. Um, many of us are looking at the world like this now. Right? Everything is digital. We're going online, we're meeting everyone through uh, this lens here, rather than going in person, where we're keeping our distance uh, physically, but digitally we're connecting, we're hyperconnected. we're moving to the world of 5G. Uh, everything is about data. The data companies are the oil companies. I'll talk more about that in a little while. And this brings up all kinds of responsibilities, right? It brings up all kinds of ideas about you know how we're going to be connecting and how much connection do we need, right? Is there such a thing as too much data? Right? Is is there such a thing as being overconnected? Right? And you know, I, I sometimes say basically that you know we're looking at this future saying everything is going to be connected, that's great. But I think being too much connected, being overconnected can be just as bad as being disconnected. I talked about this in my book when I talk about digital obesity, you know, how we're getting physically and mentally fat, so to speak, from having too much connection and having too much input from data. You know, I think, in the end, uh, humans are not machines. Many people would argue that point. You'd be surprised so data is one thing that we use a lot of but you know we don't really decide our lives based on data i mean you don't marry your husband or your wife because of some data stream or efficiency or optimized outcome or so you know this is completely different our world is not like this it's not just zeros and ones and this is the important part about humans you know we are not binary it's not just yes or no humans are maybe uh, and we change our mind. We make mistakes. You know, we, we go in between the zeros and ones. That's very difficult for a computer to do. And I think we have to be very careful about this concept that I call reductionism, you know, that everything is about quantifiable data. I mean, it's really interesting. There's a great book from Stuart Russell, uh, who is the master of AI teaching and a great guy at, at UC Berkeley. His latest book um, it's called human compatible. He talks about artificial intelligence. And one point that he makes is that a lot of machines don't understand context. They have absolute zeros or ones. So when you tell the AI or a robot to get your coffee, it does not know that you mean you'd like a coffee if possible, but you don't want a coffee You're know, going over dead bodies if you have to be. Right? <laughs> it's, there are other priorities. There are context. I think this is very, very important that we don't take the path towards Dehumanization just because data is so cruel. Uh, and we can see that in so many aspects of our lives, you know, data running things. And especially now during the COVID crisis, you know, surveillance data is everything. Right? Tracking, tracing uh, is, is security more important than freedom? Well, that's not an absolute question. I'll talk more about that shortly. But clearly, that's something we got to think about. You know, when we think about our future heading this way, machines are going to get smart. I mean, artificial intelligence is neither artificial nor is it really intelligent yet. Uh, but in the near future, we can count on on machines being able to do things that we used to do. Uh, and that goes pretty much for any routine, anything with logic, anything with facts. Whether it's a call center or translation uh, or driving a car, even flying an airplane, machines will be able to do anything that's total routine. And of course, many jobs aren't total routine, but uh, will talk about that again later. But it's really quite clear, when artificial intelligence, AI, meets HI, human intelligence, I think business as usual is over. Well, we got to think about what that means. That right? We have to focus on what makes us human, what machines can't do. And if machines do the routine, the driving, the shopping, the ordering, the organizing, the filing, the financial advice, maybe we should just do the non-routine. Maybe we should focus on what makes us human. Maybe we should teach our kids not to be robots uh, or download information. I think this is crucial for our future. We must focus on being more human, not less, as artificial intelligence becomes a new normal. The other thing is I talk about a lot, when I talk about technology, and humanity, it's chapter three in my book. By the way, techversushuman.com. If you still haven't got it, it's available in twelve languages. But number, uh, number, uh, chapter number three in my book talks about this. It's very important that we don't think that we have to, you know, transcend humanity, as many transhumanists or singularity fans would say. We have to transcend human limitations. Well, I'm fine with transcending limitations. You know by taking a cholesterol pill or something but but you know gearing myself up to become superhuman you know connecting my brain to the internet i think that's extremely dangerous and also probably wouldn't yield much benefit i think a lot of these so-called upgrades would be a downgrade i think we need to transcend technology not humanity we need to transcend the idea technology is the answer to everything it's just it's a tool right i mean a carpenter doesn't believe in the hammer a carpenter believes in the house, in what he's building. Right? it has a purpose. It's not the same than using a tool, is have a purpose. So when we go to this future, right? a future which we're definitely going to uh, go to, we'll talk about that later on the panel, You know, the cloud is gonna be everything. Our, our healthcare data is gonna be in the cloud, education will be in the cloud, music is already in the cloud, films and television are already in the cloud. I, everything is moving to the cloud. And when we have this cloud, who has authority over this cloud? Do we need data sovereignty? I think absolutely yes, on a European level. Does it mean we should be separate and separate internet? No. You know, but we have to have some authority about where the data is going. Yeah, we need to have some sort of way of credibility also, right? Of being able to say, well, you know, that we are in charge of making our own decision. And I think when we talk about the cloud, and clearly that's a huge business, you know. The the cloud is the biggest business ever. Right? Data, the new oil, right? i always say that everything should be as smart and as connected and as secure as possible as necessary but not more riffing off einstein of course right who said that everything should be as simple as possible but not more well that was easy for einstein to say but uh i think we should be as connected as possible as smart as possible smart city but not more we should not become uh, just smarter connected just because it's a great goal to have and it makes money. And now we're, we're literally living in this world, right? Where technology has become a religion. And I'm a great admirer of that myself. I love my mobile phones and my computers. But, but let's think about this for a second, right? When we think about the world like this or like this, you know, it's all about data. It's called dataism. Right? You may have heard about this from uh, Yuval Harari in different contexts, right? I don't think we'll find happiness here. We won't find happiness, human happiness, real happiness, not hedonism, you know, not a quick fix. Right? We will not find happiness on the screen, we'll not find it in an app, we won't find it in the cloud. These are tools. If we don't find happiness with the tools, then you know, how do, where do we find happiness? Well, that's a big question, right? But it certainly isn't out here in the cloud, it's it, it's in here there, somewhere, right? Not, not here, but somewhere, right? As some, uh, I think Kahneman said, Daniel Kahneman said, we think with the body, not with the brain. So this is really important, I think when we think about our future and where we're going with this, you know technology isn't what we seek. Right? It's how we seek. We seek to make connections to others. You know when you think about what is most important to humans, engagement with other humans, experiences, real full embodied experiences. And of course, relationships. I mean, this is really what makes us work. It's not a flow of data or or the clean organization of data. And then, you know, we're going into a future like this, clearly, where everything will have a digital window. We're going to vote online, especially now. We're going to work from home, especially now. We're going to virtually travel with holograms, right? But we have to remember something. When we do this kind of digital event and when we connect digitally, this is a good prep for what we're really are looking for, which is trust and relationships and trust isn't digital. You know, trust is not something I can find in here, or I can just add a button to the website, you know, buy some trust at Amazon, or I don't know. You know, we can't download relationships and we can't encode the relationships. They're much more complex than that. We should resist this sort of reductionism of saying that, you know, everything has to be digitized and everything has to be code and everything has to be made sense in this regard. Right? So I think really what we talk about in my book, I talk about this, I call this the Android rhythms. Right? human things what other side <laughs> right so these are the things that make us human emotions intuition creativity imagination uh, I have to turn the right direction here different exercise with different backgrounds mystery I think somebody once said and I forgot where I found this but kudos algorithms know the logic of everything but the feeling of nothing. And you know it's funny when, now when, com- when two computers talk, you know if you can imagine two computers talking, uh, they're exchanging data, saying, "Okay, it's like this, it's like this, it's basically if this then that, right?" The logic of everything. But do they know what it feels like? I mean, when when people talk, what's the first question? You know, how do you feel like? How does it make you feel? How do you feel about that? You know, <laughs> and are we going to talk like that to a, to a machine? Are machines capable of doing that? Well, they're capable of simulating it. If you've seen the movie Her, great movie about this. But in the end, remember, the computer had 3,650 other relationships at the same time <laughs> because it didn't have the androrhythms. You want to know more about the algorithms? you can go to androrhythms.com. That's why I pontificate a little bit more on this. So let me move on to the next topic here. Okay, It's really quite clear, clean, clear when we talk about the future. Climate change is the next big thing. Uh, well, it's it's big now, and climate change discussion and global warming is a thousand x of the current COVID nineteen crisis. Uh, that's that's why we call it the climate emergency. The only thing about it is we don't see a sick person, you know, next to us or on television today. While well, we see some of them, of course, dying of pollution, but we don't see three hundred million climate refugees now. You know, People are saying, we're going to see that maybe in 40 years. Right? So this climate emergency is actually very much related to uh, technology and humanity, because, clearly, technology is the key to solving a lot of these problems. Hunger, water, food, disease, transportation. Right? All of those things can be solved with technology. But let's not make the mistake of saying, well, technology is that great solving tool. It's a panacea. Right? It will not solve political, social, or cultural issues. And and to solve climate change, we're going to face a lot of political issues. Uh, My hope is that because of COVID-19 and the current crisis, we can find a way to use this example of having to deal with emergency situations and roll that over into climate change and discuss what we really need to address it. I mean, clearly, this is going to be a major challenge for all of us and we have to tackle it now. And this is why I believe, for example, that we should put carbon tax uh, ideas into bailout scenarios for airlines and, and, and cruise, cruise ships and so on, right? Because the next thing that we're facing after climate emergency, and it sounds kind of like a, a, a dreary outlook, but it's not, I'll explain shortly, is the human emergency. Everything is being watched, everything is being monitored. Uh, You know, we we overdo technology and we use technology like a drug or like a religion or both, (laughs) even worse. And, 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 you know, I call this too much of a good thing. Just like, you know, we've we've used fossil fuel uh, to, to pump our entire economy in the last 50 years. So the second thing we're facing is the human emergency. I think it's very important to us if we think about this idea of how we can put the human back in the center of technology rather than us being the object of technology. For example, social media is one of those things. Social media is clearly a human emergency. We have replaced real media with real people, with an algorithm with unreal people, to create a fake reality. This is why I left Facebook two years ago, um, pretty much two years ago now, uh, because they just couldn't see being part of that anymore. Right? That creates a human emergency. And so I think if we look in this direction, let us uh, let me advance to the important topic of the day here, uh, security and safety. We have countries like Israel and Singapore and others who are in some ways using the COVID-19 opportunity uh, to create a complete surveillance state. And, of course, that, that's happened by default in other countries. But we have to be very careful about this. Right? I call this corona washing, and it's been used many times in the media now, It's by saying, well, we're doing this because of corona. We have to be able to track people. We have to be able to look at people. We have to be able to trace people. We have to, yeah, okay, emergency, yes? But you know what happens with emergency regulation. Uh, look at America, the U.S. Right? in after September 11th the FISA courts, the Patriot Act, that became the new normal, and still is normal, it It is entirely normal to be in an emergency situation. That's not good. I think this is something we have to really keep a very good eye on in Europe, is going back to saying, well, you know, we use technology for emergency situations, maybe a little bit too much, but then we have to go back, right? Because I really feel if you have nothing to hide, you're probably not human. I think hiding information is not something that is a default good setting, clearly. But having mystery, staying human? I also think we should not trade sort of a fake security idea uh, for, the, for the complete lack of, secu- of, uh, of freedom and liberties. There has to be a balance. There is no such thing as 100% liberty or freedom in our society. But the reverse also shouldn't be true, in my view, we shouldn't pretend that we get 100% security uh, by essentially building a digital cage for us. And so I think emergency measures should not become the new normal. We should think about accountability and responsibility, and that's why I look forward to our discussion later with Mrs. Svestiger from the European Commission about how we can go about this to create ethics and technology, what are called digital ethics, uh, to have a, a supervision process in place that goes beyond this, because I really think we're moving into this world, right? I call this, the new Renaissance. We move out of the picture a little bit. And here's the, I call this the Neoluvian man. It's like the Vitruvian man. But it's basically saying, well, in the 1500s, Leonardo da Vinci, right? Now we have all this technology around us, and we're going to need to find out what is our spot. You know, what is our existence when we're surrounded by AI and the Internet of Things and 3D printing and, and the blockchain and, and CRISPR-Cas9, and, I mean, it's mind-boggling, uh, the possibilities. I, th- I say that we should invest as much in humanity as we do in technology. I think we need to also train our kids to understand technology clearly, but is, you know everybody's going to be a programmer, is that going to save us? You know, machines can program themselves. The key question really is in this new renaissance, just like in the 15th century, when we went away from dogmas towards the human understanding. What do we want to be? And the second question is, what do, you, what do we want our home to be? Right, the Earth. What kind of world do we want to have? I mean, I have two kids. I don't know about you, but this is a key question. What kind of world do I want my kids to have? And what kind of action do I take? God knows we've been falling short on that discussion on this whole debate about new relations. For example, uh, when we use data. It has been said many times, data is the new oil. That's a very old saying now, a lot of people disagree. I think it's actually the new plutonium. It's a new weapon. The weapon used by big technology companies, many of which are my clients, you know, to turn us into data, to turn the world into data. That's, that's a good thing to have lots of data, because we can get smart, we can have smart cities, we can move faster. That's pretty much the pretty amazing stuff, right? But we can also use it as a weapon. We can use artificial intelligence as a weapon, of course, and soldiers and so on. We can use genetic engineering as a weapon. So what does it take? It takes for us not to say no to the use of data, like healthcare data, but not to always just say yes, right? to find a balance, right? to find social contracts, regulations, agreements. Right? If we are going to use data like this, who is in charge? Who owns it? Who guarantees things? Would you trust your healthcare data, your your DNA, to a tech company or a social media company, or you know, 23andMe for that matter? I and mean, this is a very crucial question for our future that we have to answer, because this is our default world, right? Right here, <laughs> the ultra-connected world. I mean, we're hyper-connected. We're globalized in many ways now. Globalization is sort of on the uh, on the uh, on, on the on the list of to be abolished right? but, but it's really quite clear you know technology drives our future and we're not going to go back to not using technology but the question is who defines it And I think the answer is ethics is what do we feel about each other how do we feel about each other what do we want to achieve And ethics you'd be surprised is not as lofty as it sounds. I think a lot of us could agree in a lot of ethics for example, most people 99.9% would agree that having autonomous weapons that can kill people on their own without human supervision are definitely going too far so digital ethics and the whole discussion the weaponization i think it's really this is a strong agenda for europe we use technology it drives our future but then we have to define what we want because clearly in this world the totally connected world whether you think about self-sufficiency or deglobalization or what I think the economist has called slow snow, snowballization right? slowballization, right to make it slower right? okay that's going to happen but now we have a different paradigm and this is really becoming clear i think in our time here of covid-19 we have to have a different purpose not just profit growth jobs gdp but what i call people planet purpose and prosperity the possibility of reaching all four of those. That's, that's the new society we need. And technology is the key for this. And the other key is ethics. People, planet, purpose, prosperity. Al Gore called this sustainable capitalism. Uh, quite some time ago, I think that must have been around 10 years ago or so. Uh, now we're discussing on as to how we can actually reach this. Here is uh, uh, the neural from Elon Musk—you may have seen this already on the internet before—where he's actually proposing to put uh, drill tiny holes into your head. Good luck with that, and then connect to the internet so we can upload our brain and become superhuman. Right? And uh, he's he's basically suggesting this as a as a way of gearing up. Right? And as much as I, I like Elon's other things uh, and his brightness, you know, I think this has taken the step too far. We don't have to compete with technology in becoming technology. Well, we have to keep our players by becoming more human, right? As I said before, technology is not what we seek. We don't seek to become technology, at least I don't. And of course, if you do, that's a different discussion. And how can we get those two things across at the same time? So let me I'll move towards a close on this, and very soon we're going to have some questions and debates. This world is hyper connected, euro is hyper connected. That is the key for us. I mean, I think. The, the challenge is that the more we connect, we also must protect. We connect with each other, we connect with data. But we must protect what makes us human. And what makes us human? The algorithms right? So emotions, mysteries, mistakes, serendipity, discovery, uh, the things that machines can't do. And, and I think this is really also the important point about what we need to do in Europe here. We need to collaborate. And we need to have solidarity with each other so that we can protect our idea of how we want to live in the future. And this brings me to my final point about Europe. A lot of people have talked about this. I'm sure we'll talk about it in the debate. Are we going to end up with the United States of Europe after or during the crisis? Or will it be the opposite, right? a disintegration of Europe? This is a very important discussion also because of technology and humanity. Because we need to make sure that Europe has a power position in the world that rivals the U.S. and China, and, and not be disintegrated all over the place. Right? I, I think the idea of United States of Europe is p- being put through a great test right now, primarily because of the solidarity between the North and the South and the East and the West. I think we need to do whatever it takes to build some solidarity and to maintain a, a strong United Europe in every possible financial and practical way. I think this is the only way that we can go to a future and say, this is what we want from technology. This is how we want to regulate AI or AGI, Artificial General Intelligence. And this is how we want to proceed into a future that we want. Uh, And this, of course, is a very, very big task for the European Commission, but also for local governments, for national governments, for every mayor. And this is why I have suggested in the past that every politician, every public official should have a driver's license for the future, should understand what's coming.